Hello, and welcome to TV Dinner, the podcast where we take three bites out of a show and tell you how it tastes. I'm your host, Galena. I'm your other host, Sean. And this week, we are watching a series of unfortunate events. Uh-huh. It's a series of 13 children novels uh, by Lemony Snicket. Uh, and Only 13? Huh? Yeah, 13. Thought... Ch- they're children's novels, so they're pretty thin, too. Yeah, that's like, all 13 of them could make, like, one Game of Thrones novel. Maybe. <laughs> I think it'd be a little thicker. Yeah, it'd probably be two Game of Thrones novels, but still. <laughs> uh, so for those of you who have not read anything about the Baudelaire orphans, then uh, you should know that Violet, Klaus, and Sunny are uh, a trio of kind-hearted and quick-witted siblings whose lives are filled with bad luck and misery. Mm-hmm. So it's a series of 13 stories uh, about uh, the unhappy and wretched things that happen to these children that will almost certainly fill you with deep despair. <laughs> Alas, it is now a hit Netflix original show starring Neil Patrick Harris, Patrick Warburton, uh, Melina Weissman, uh, Louis Hines, uh, K. Todd Freeman, and Presley Smith. Mm-hmm. Now, I remember when they made the old movie. Mm-hmm. I don't think the series was over at that point. Was it? Because I'm pretty sure, like, they made, like, a triumphant ending, and then, like, the series ending happened, and people were like, aw. <laughs> um, <laughs> hmm. Because I, I remember the movie kind of, like, just, like, flew through the books. Basically, they had, like, a scene per book. Uh-huh. No, um, basically, the, uh, the film adaptation, it was just a film adaptation of the first three books of the series. Okay, yeah, so definitely it wasn't finished yet. It mixed the various events and characters of the first three books into a single narrative. Mm-hmm. That was December of 2004 is when it came out. Uh, and it was uh, like Jim Carrey as Count Olaf, like Meryl yep. Streep and stuff. Uh, yeah, a bunch of good actors. Yeah, but they were like more comical in tone. Uh, the books themselves are like they are Solomon serious, but like I totally get like the comedy thing because they are filled with like a lot of wry humor. Yeah, I mean it's a very. I only read the first book, if I remember correctly, mm-hmm. um, and it's very sarcastic and um, kind of like quick witted humor. Mm-hmm. Um. So, like, I don't see that comedy is a poor direction to go with it, especially if you're just, like, making a bunch of children have a bad time. Yeah. <laughs> it's... Hmm. Basically, uh... The, I don't know, because I really like the series. The tone, um... It's, like, really interesting, I can't, like, sum it up quickly, you know what I mean? But it's a really appealing to read. It's really well written. Um, and it's uh, it's sort of a gothic, absurdist text. It's got a lot... It's a very sarcastic, which I found very entertaining as I read it. <laughs> I don't know. It's just a very, like, smart series. It's got a lot of metafictional, like understanding of itself mm-hmm. so and well and i 
I know there's also a lot of jokes within the writing itself mm-hmm. that just don't translate well to anything else. <laughs> like, uh, you know, people always share them around Twitter and Tumblr, where like he mm-hmm. filled a page with one word yeah. over and over again. To or so- several pages, uh, some pages of like just like a big black square to represent right. being at the bottom of an elevator shaft. Yeah, being how dark it was. <laughs> So stuff like that, that's humorous when you're reading it, that won't translate to a visual medium, necessarily. But there's plenty of stuff in the narration and dialogue that can translate to the visual medium. Yeah, but I, I think that's that's probably the reason why a lot of people don't like visual ap- adaptations of it. Mm-hmm. I remember when the movie came out, people didn't like it because... They flew through the events, and I'm like, well, yeah, they're trying to put three books into one movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so they the the series started in 1999, and the movie covered uh, the the 1999 books and the first of the three books that came out in 2000. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the movie came out, uh, I think, after the 11th book, uh, but before the 12th and 13th one. Yeah, I remember it came out before the series was over. And people were sure. just like people who were fans of it were just kind of disappointed, and I thought it was a fun movie because I wasn't that into it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was. I thought it was a fun movie too, but uh, I also liked the TV series. Uh, I remember them like saying essentially that they wanted to um, make like more movies, but like no, no, like script uh, was ever like written, uh, and the. Uh, basically it was like stated like further films would have to be like produced very, very quickly since the children don't like age much through the series. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I guess like that someone somewhere in the process, uh, like dragged their like feet. And it just never happened. Yeah. Fair enough. But I think, uh, I mean, I think if they wanted to make something longer form, I don't think it would be a problem if they aged during the course of the series. Yeah, it would just get more adaptational. Yeah, but people yeah. who are huge fans of book series like hey, adaptational stuff. Mm-hmm. People still yell about Peeves in Harry Potter, and I read all the Harry Potter books and I barely remember Peeves. <laughs> like, it's not that big of a deal. Yeah, it, it, it's certainly not it's certainly not what I would go to when I talk about things that I dislike about the movie adaptations of Harry Potter, but we're not talking about Harry Potter. We're talking about a different children's book. Well, I'm, I'm talking about like every time you make something out of a children's book series is going to be popular, but everyone's also going to hate it. (laughs) So like Percy Jackson, I went to, I had never read any Percy Jackson. I went to the movie with some friends. Mm -hmm. Um, and like the part, I remember this specifically because the theater was full. We There were like five of us and we couldn't get seats all together. And like, I remember going up to the front because I didn't care that much and sitting on the floor and watching the movie from the floor in front of the front seats. That's how full the theater was. Because wow. the only other seats were like one seat in between like a family and a couple and one seat there and one seat here. So... So we just like sat on the floor. Yeesh. Um, that does not sound pleasant. 
So like it was really full. So obviously it was a popular movie. People were interested in it. And the whole time the friend I was sitting next to was like, well, this this is different. And they changed that. And oh my God, I can't believe they like changed it in that way. Yeah. Um, like after going through all that to see this movie, you're just going to complain about it the whole time. People are very passionate about their fandom. And I found that uh, people who are into children's series children's Mm -hmm. book series especially for some reason are the most picky Um, yeah and nostalgia is a hell of a drug (laughs) well i mean when you're converting a a a book to like a movie you just literally have no choice but to uh compress stuff and i find that most of the time uh like it's really not that big of a deal the movie creators just like and make their choice about like what to like focus on and what like details to forget and a lot of the times it it does make sense i've i've heard some valid criticism of some movies and i've heard some ridiculous criticism <laughs> of some movies uh generally like i think i'm used to um the concept of adaptation and uh thematic or spiritual similarities mm-hmm. um so, I don't know. I, I I think people just need to like loosen up a little bit because uh, the thing about uh, remakes and adaptations is that they in no way uh, overwrite or destroy the originals. Uh, exactly, it's just except for people content. who loved the Star Wars expanded universe. That was overwritten. Yeah, but I don't. <laughs> well, cares? no. So like. The thing is, even then, it's not. Like, it still exists. They're still putting it out. Just because, like, it's technically not canon or whatever doesn't mean, like, they burned all of the copies of it. Canon is a... uh, Canon doesn't fucking matter anyway. It's a complex and uh, difficult concept that a lot of people have uh, invested a lot of feelings into. Um, ultimately, uh, it doesn't matter what, you know, okay, well, how, the reason why it matters to people what is and isn't canon, because that is a statement by the people who are continuing to create content for the Mm -hmm. franchise, this will matter when we create the next thing. We're going to be thinking about that thing when we create the next thing. So by saying that's not canon, they're saying... We're not going to think about that when we're creating new stuff anymore. Yeah, but like they never did with the expanded universe. What do you mean? Um, a lot of the like offshoot EU stuff was just like, even though it was canon, like it wasn't necessarily referenced back to or mattered at all in the story. That's it's true. Um, yeah, uh, EU stuff almost almost never uh influence the movies uh the most you would get is like a cameo uh of like a of like a comics character appearing in the movies that was like Mm -hmm. episode two and three uh it ultimately didn't really matter Uh, it was a situation where canon went one way it went top down and it never went down up it never affected the uh more important the quote-unquote more important parts of the franchise uh if anything in like the new phase the the new canon uh 
content does go down up with stuff like cartoon series characters making appearances in the movies and things like that. Um, but I also understand that there are people who are like extremely attached to the old <laughs> EU. So how do you think that uh, a- applies, applies to what we're doing at all? <laughs> I know I brought it up, so it's my fault. Yeah, I'm just trying to defuse this bomb as fast as possible. Um, <laughs> uh, I think that how it matters uh, is that I'm aware already that this TV series also changes things from the book. Uh, while the people's issues with the uh, movie uh, were mostly tonal, uh, there were some uh, actual... They, yeah, there were like there were changes from the book, but people's issues with it were mostly tonal. Uh, I haven't heard much of uh, complaints about that in regard to the TV series, but I do know that the TV series does actual change uh, little parts of the text. And, like, just going into it, I want to say that I don't mind or care if things are different in the TV series. In fact, I am pro, like, yes, do change things, do update things when you are making an adaptation of something, especially if it's been, uh... 20 years. (laughs) Not in this case. Um, but it's, it's been over... Uh, what it came out in 2017 the show the show yeah <clears throat> yeah so it's been a little over a decade no 1999 to 2017 is 18 years well 1999 was the start of the series the novels ended in 2006 that's where yeah, i was counting but, from yeah but i assume they started the beginning fair enough then so content <laughs> so, that's content so. that's being updated from a decade to two decades ago uh, yeah. ultimately, uh, I think that there should be changes, uh, and that you should like, especially when it's a, like a, like, especially when it's like a franchise and it's like, oh, I have the full context of where all of the books are going now. You should go when you, if you get the chance to go back to the start, change things in order to make it a more cohesive whole or to do stuff that you wanted to do originally or I don't know, to make mm-hmm. new connections uh, and to be able to, there's a creative freedom with adapting something that is already complete. Uh, and I think it's exciting to adapt things, to change things, to revise things. Uh, and I think that the revision process and the evolution of things over time uh, is the most exciting part of uh, remakes and of uh, adaptations. Uh, and I think that more remakes and adaptations should lean into uh, changing things. Uh, and it's very changing things uh, can be a very exciting uh, and a very successful process, especially when it comes uh, what like, for example, stuff like into the spider verse. I had another example on the tip of my tongue and then my brain shorted out. Sorry. Well, we've been going for a while now anyway, so let's go ahead and watch it. (laughs) (laughs) Unless you want to finish your thesis statement. No, I think I got across. Yeah, I, I, I like to see more. I like to see more change in new things. Bon appetit.
And we're back. Yeah, so, how unfortunate were those events? Um, pretty unfortunate, I guess. Uh, Everything that we saw was stuff that I remembered from either the book or the movie. Mm Mm-hmm. But things were a little different. Uh, Like I've been informed, uh, there have been some changes. Uh, You've been informed? Well, You didn't just, like, notice? No, I told you coming into it uh, in the first half, I would... I've I've heard heard that it was different from the books in ways, mm-hmm. and I was curious about it because I, I got that vague sense that people were happier with this TV series than they were with the movie. Well, which the, the TV series is definitely uh, way more accurate to the books than the movie was. Yeah, but it's also very funny. So I don't understand that silly comment uh, that people somebody made. Uh, about the movie being too funny yeah this is definitely i mean the comedy is is very close to the comedy that the book had it's very dry the kind of yeah like dry humor but also just like sometimes just straight up funny moments um Mm -hmm. because like that's what makes the book bearable right because if it was just like (laughs) a dramatic telling of this sad childhood then no one would want to go you know watch it or read it yeah but thankfully it's not that thankfully it's a lot of stuff i do remember the movie having an opening sequence where it was like a parody of those old christmas claymation movies and then it was like you're not seeing this movie you should go see a movie like this movie now we're going to watch the horrible movie yeah um and this show that's this show kind of follows that theme too, which is from the book where uh, it would just kind of tell you to go watch or read something else. Mm-hmm. Um, even in their own theme song, which I recognize Neil Patrick Harris singing, Patrick Harris singing. Mm-hmm. Um, it, the whole thing goes, look away. Yeah. Don't read the book. Don't watch the show. Oh, but you shouldn't go to the movies. You should watch streaming television from your home. How convenient. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to look right at the camera now. I, I thought it was really funny because um, even stuff like that, which was very obviously added, still flowed with the the meta humor of the story. Yeah. Um, Lemony Snicket's a way of writing things uh the the wordplay the clever use of grammar the the jokes that he makes while explaining uh, at the same time bits of grammar to the children reading the novels yeah well and then um the line that was lifted directly from the book where klaus read the same sentence twice where klaus read the same sentence twice yeah yeah, yeah. just doing it in narration instead of in text i i was surprised that they put that in there um but it was nice to have that yeah why do you think that um it works doing it with a narrator instead of text um well i was surprised that they kept lemony snicket as a narrator character because i kind of thought like the movie they would just kind of forego a narrator and continue with just the story part of it um it's technically a spoiler i guess um but uh okay so the vaguest term is possible uh lemony snicket or rather his 
C plot of his existence Mm -hmm. uh, does to an extent become relevant to the A plot of the Baudelaire's. Okay. Um, That's probably a late late game thing then. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, there's the... So I guess you mean, so like the A plot of the Baudelaire's the B plot in this show, they added a, a B plot of like their parents escaping wherever they're being held. So we know they're not actually dead, which I'm pretty sure yeah. in the books they were just like 100% dead because the books are not like afraid of just killing off pretty much every other character. Well, I mean, besides the parents, Gustav dies, Dr. Montgomery Montgomery dies. There's yeah. a lot of. The, there's a lot of the uh, threatening of violence on children and like uh, Count Olaf is definitely l- lunging with a knife up and down the stairs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um so there's there's a lot of well I just mean I feel like people view children's media as like kind of light. Mm-hmm. And this is a piece of children's media that is like definitely not it's it's light in like the way that it's written and the comedy and the dry humor but other than that like all the story beats are really heavy yeah i don't know if i don't know if uh people usually expect children shows to have dry humor it's become more common now though but um what people definitely don't expect in uh children's narratives is uh this level of uh darkness but uh also this level of absurdism uh absurdism is not usually used in children's media i don't think right so they've got like the bright and cheery 50s aesthetic juxtaposed with um everything having to do with count olaf is kind of rickety and gray um yeah they got a lot of a good mix of like gothic and of um very chromatic yeah but it's it's very like the aesthetic of the whole show is kind of 50s yeah, I think it matches up pretty well with the uh, illustrations on the books. Yeah, I was, um, I was gonna say for I I can't imagine that the books could show you an aesthetic like that, but I guess it was in the illustrations that they had like the clothing and stuff. Yeah, and what sort of what sort of technology they make reference to? Yeah, since they're such smart kids, and one of them is an inventor, of course that sort of stuff becomes relevant and they become sort of like telltale signs of where we are. I don't remember them. Yeah, definitely not ever using the internet. So this is a very firmly last century uh, narrative. Yeah. Um, And I don't think this narrative would really work uh, as well Mm -hmm. in in a modern context. Yeah, I I definitely think that like... I don't know, because in a a modern context, there would be a lot of people saying, like, well, why doesn't anybody just do anything? But this is a narrative that, like, relies uh, upon people like Mr. Poe, uh, in fact, pretty much all adults, uh, to be uh, resoundly, like, incompetent. (laughs) Well, like, that's a big trope in kids' media in general, is that, like, the kid is the one who who knows the truth, or is the one who has to step up and be responsible. Um, Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's kind of like power fantasy for kids where it's like, oh, the adults are so dumb and I'm the only one who knows what's going on. Yes. But as Lemmy Snicket pointed out, many, uh, concerned citizens and television executives, uh, (laughs) would be, um, 
remiss if they did not get some explanation as to how Count Olaf was able to treacherously obtain the Baudelaire children and then threaten to marry a child. Well, and that's another um, change from the book is we don't get a lot of uh, narration on Count Olaf that does not include the children. Yeah, I think it's pretty firmly from their perspective. Yeah, it it is like Lemony Snicket's point of view, but it only follows right, them. Right, right, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but I don't know what to call that. I just, I don't know. I'm just, it just only follows them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't know if there's a better way to describe it, but that's exactly. I don't it. know if there's a specific word, but yeah. Um, but in this, he does take the time to go follow Count Olaf and kind of explain how he does some of the stuff he does which is interesting because in the books it's just kind of like he is just kind of generally bad and he gets to do bad things yeah and his method is inexplicable yeah it's still kind of inexplicable yeah but still (laughs) mr poe and montgomery montgomery know count olaf and yet still they're going to confuse them for stefano and other various characters Um, oh and uh, people like um Jessica haircut <laughs> i i remember very specifically that was a thing from the book and mm-hmm. the movie where it was very obvious that count olaf was count olaf because he is a bad actor um oh yes but for some reason to every single adult he is completely disguised like no one can tell that it is count olaf mm-hmm uh it's hard to say what and why uh especially when uh there are at least purported to be uh characters uh like gustav who are part of this sort of like conspiracy who and they can recognize who olaf is but they're always constantly like moving in the shadows they seem to be aware that well other um so like i believe the count olaf thing like from the books was meant to be more of that dry humor where it's like this is obviously count olaf why aren't you doing anything um from Mm -hmm. the kids perspectives and it's just kind of supposed to be another unfortunate thing where like somehow they always see him coming but no one else does but Mm -hmm. in the show they added the b plot of like this secret society which (laughs) i don't think was in the books but i only read the first one so i don't know if that was a later book thing uh how much we're going to get into it uh it's a it's all it's there's a lot of actually like conspiracy level stuff going on in the narrative that you'll continue to see developed okay but was there like a whole secret society uh unclear okay because um they changed uh count olaf's eye symbol to include you think it's like a fibonacci spiral um as it's some kind of spiral yeah as the iris and from what i remember it in the books it was just an eyeball but they've added added the spiral and that symbol keeps showing up in a bunch of other in like every single one of their relatives homes so you know there's like a secret society aspect and so i feel like because they added that plot they couldn't go a hundred percent with the ridiculousness um (laughs) you know that is count olaf yeah a lot of this stuff is uh 
like the Count Olaf stuff, hinted at in the books, but we never get to see it from that sort of perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, so it it was really an enigma type of thing in the books, but uh, seeing the eyes in the tower in the Montgomery's Montgomery's uh, hedge maze, seeing that the place that they live, the city, the town, whatever itself, it uh like when Count Olaf pulls up like a map of the area is also in the shape of an eye. Yeah. Uh, it's, there are flashes of eyes in the opening and one of the eyes is the uh, eye on the dollar bill, like an Illuminati eye. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I almost feel like the prevalence of eyes is a parody of that. Maybe, maybe it's supposed to be parodying the Illuminati, just like, it's a secret society that runs everything, mm-hmm. and they're an eyeball or whatever. Uh, only instead of being a secret society of the most rich and famous people in the world who are secretly controlling society, instead it's a, a secret society of people who have to deal with the fact that they are in an absurdist reality. <laughs> yeah, well, we don't really know what connects the people who are in the society other than most of them are related. So, yeah, and they seem to be pretty clear-headed, whereas people who are not in the society, like Mr. Poe is obsessed with being busy with his job, just as Strauss has her sort of like dual nature, like her, oh, she want, is, wants so badly to be like an actress and a, a mother and stuff that she's going to uh, put the children in uh, grave danger, um, go- uh, Montgomery Montgomery uh, is so concerned with what's going on the, with the Herpetology Society that he shirks uh, the reasonable deductions that he probably could come to as a member of the Secret Society uh, and instead believes that Stefano is not Count Olaf, but a, 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 a snake science spy? Yeah. <laughs> so it seems to be like a common thread. Uh, that the adults are all self-obsessed in some way uh, that leads to them uh, somehow ignoring uh, the plight of the Baudelaire children. Yeah. Um, I I don't know why, but I keep wanting to call them Beauregards. What is that from? <laughs> Who is a Beauregard? Uh, the only Beauregard I know is from Critical Role. That's not helpful to me. Yeah, I don't <laughs> know any Beauregards. Okay. Every time I, like, see Baudelaire or think Baudelaire, I want to say Beauregard. I know Beauregard is, uh, like, a really common name in, like, a bunch of stuff. It's on a bunch of businesses and it's a Civil War general. Is it? That's too much. Yeah. I don't know anything about history. Yeah, Beauregard is just a really common name, apparently. (laughs) Um, Speaking of names. Also, it's very catchy. Uh... Olaf's theater troupe, I believe in line with the book, none of them have real names. Yeah, none of them properly introduce themselves. Got... The twins are the pale face twins. Um, yeah, yeah, the pale face ladies. I guess I guess hand hook guy is just hand hook guy. Um, in the book, they always referred to him as the man with hooks for hands. Okay, I believe in this show, they just kind of call him that guy or like the henchman. <laughs> <laughs> I I think he's pretty funny despite being uh, a pushover being Count Olaf henchman. and a pretty horrible person. Yeah, he just he's just funny, but he's also horrible. 
<laughs> He's pretty funny. Um, there is, did they add the one character who is like, uh, kind of a, a monotone guy who talks about social issues? Well, I know that in the books that he was never mumbling in the background about the patriarchy, but, uh, I do know that he had a couple of more minions, uh, and that he, this guy is probably based off of Probably One just of those minions that I can't remember. Mi- minion number four. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fair enough. Um, but the the main ones are the pale face twins and the guy with hooks for hands. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there is uh, a. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a a bald man with a long nose, and yep. there was a hench person of indeterminate gender. I see. So I guess that was. I guess that's why they decided to make uh, the androgynous hench person kind of like, well, you know, marriage is just an institution of the patriarchy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's mm-hmm. cool. <laughs> it's something. Yeah, sure. <laughs> well, I don't think I don't think the the show does play it off for laughs, but it doesn't. Mm-hmm. It doesn't. Nobody really pays attention to that character, so you don't know how the other characters feel about what they're saying. But that's because they're constantly mumbling when nobody's paying attention to them. Yeah, pretty much. But they gave, at least they, they gave them some more personality than the book did. Hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. So. <clears throat> those are his five henchmen. Uh, but sp- speaking of um, relatively minor characters, do you have a favorite character? Minor or major, I guess? Hmm. I like the... Big lizard that Dr. Montgomery takes for a walk. <laughs> I don't think that technically qualifies He's as a, a even a minor character. character. Okay. How about enough. how about the incredibly deadly viper? Incredibly deadly viper. That one's got a name. That one, I mean, has a name, is an original creation of this narrative. Yeah. Boy, you like reptiles. It's a cuddle snake. Is, is your third favorite character the, the flying <laughs> yeah. uh, lizard? Mm, okay, I see where your priorities lie. You're um, really liking the reptile room so far, huh? I, uh, I liked Justice Strauss a lot, but I think most of that came from her actress. Um, mm-hmm. I can't think of her name right now, but I that actress is in a lot of things, and she's always really good. And she was yeah, she you, was really good in this. Yeah, you said you recognized a lot of the actors. Yeah, I'm very bad at names, especially celebrity names, but um, there are a lot of big actors in this, uh, and mm-hmm. they all do really well. Oh, yeah, I was going to say that, like, everybody's delivery seems spot on. I, I... Well, and it, and it's so funny because I wrote down, like, a lot of the delivery is kind of meant to be over dramatic and even like monotone in a way that in most productions would come off as really bad acting (laughs) but like because it is the tone of this show that everybody is so incredibly dramatic like Mm -hmm. it works like you wouldn't want them acting like normal people because that's not how that would be bad acting in this show it's almost like well theater not to try and make a thing of it <laughs> but it, it it is almost like theater the way that they act 
while overacting because because i know that when you're on the stage you have to overact in order for people out there uh in the the stands and the mezzanine to have any idea what the fuck's going on with your face and your emotions yeah pretty much um <clears throat> but yeah but it just do... it's just like really fun watching people do that yeah and the, the actors in this are all very good they're doing it with a lot of finesse uh yeah, even even the even the Baudelaire children themselves, even Sunny. <laughs> Sunny is great. I think Sunny's your favorite character, but yes. she is a main character. So, who's your favorite minor character? My favorite minor character. Hmm. I think it's um. Oh oh no! Oh no! Oh no! I've forgotten her name. But Mr. Poe's Jacqueline. Uh, secretary. Jacqueline. Jacqueline is my favorite minor character. She's so stoic about the absurd things happening to her. She's just, she's very, um, like, spy movie. <laughs> where she just can, like, she can just do stuff and it's very, like, whatever. <laughs> she's just like, oh yeah, I can, like... I can drag this this tree all the way down into the sewer somehow. Like it's whatever. I'm a spy. Yeah, she's she's got like a very like uh, intense spy movie attitude about all of her the sort of shenaniganny spy mischief she gets into, like dealing with being a secretary, dealing with being tied to a tree in the park. <laughs> um. So I didn't mention actually that every book gets two episodes, um, except for the last book, which only gets one episode, making for twenty-five in the whole series. That's a nice round number. I like it. It's a good number of episodes, <laughs> I think, for the series. But also, like, I think two episodes is the perfect amount for each book because yeah, they each get a, a, enough time to linger. Yeah, you get enough time. For detail, because basically each book gets its own movie, essentially. So you get enough time to show all the detail and that the people who read the books really like, but you don't, you know, you don't hobbit it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you don't linger so long you have to make up details. <laughs> um. So as far as what we watched, we watched the entire first book and half of the second book. Yeah. So you so it's it's pretty much what people remember uh, is what we've watched uh, as it's probably maybe because of the movie but like after the third book there's going to be like more and more drop off of what people remember and what I remember uh and I'm I'm definitely very excited to after a decade get to dig into those stories that I've forgotten somewhat again and be be surprised uh again. Yeah, and well because I never you know got into it, I think I I think this is a fun way to do it. Um mm -hmm. Oh, but because you mentioned Jacqueline in the third episode, they go to the movies and this is an opportunity for them to put in more of their like secret society plot. Um, mm -hmm. Dr. Montgomery is looking at the subtitles of the movie through a, a weird telescope that decodes it, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, and at the beginning of, I don't know that you noticed, but I did. 
at the beginning of the movie, it said like subtitles by Jacqueline and then a last name that I forget. Yeah, Gustav and Jacqueline are both credited and they're both running around on screen in the movie. Yeah, so it's fun seeing that even these minor characters, because we know they are part of the secret society, they are like doing things. Well, Gustav is dead, so I guess he's going to be done doing things soon. Yeah, they're more like secondary characters than minor characters. So I guess my real favorite minor character is the ticket booth guy, who is also somehow (laughs) part of the conspiracy and can print tickets to Peru Peru. out of his his movie theater printer. I think that's a really honest, I think honest to God, that would be a fun character in like a really serious spy movie. (laughs) Like ticket booth guy who prints all sorts of tickets. (laughs) <laughs> like i need a i need a ticket to the grammys tonight because i need to save lady gaga or whatever and so he prints you a ticket i don't think the grammys has tickets but anyway um <laughs> you know that sort of thing like oh i need a ticket to to germany because the ambassador or whatever and you just go to the movie theater <laughs> talk to the ticket booth guy <gasps> like i, I think like it would it be lot. great i think it would be great <laughs> like, you're right that it would be great because it is great um well it is great in this but i mean i think he would be great in any media in something more serious Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah maybe i don't know um maybe in john wick or something Mm -hmm. every time sunny did something it was a little bit uncanny valley (laughs) well yes uh we do have to acknowledge that in this show that they make pretty liberal use of cg uh but like uh, in order to Specifically for Sunny, yeah. Yes, in order to, like, uh, cheaply achieve the results that they want with the baby that they can't make cut the cards. I mean, I think it fits in with the, like, kind of absurd aesthetic because, I mean, she was exactly like that in the books, right? She had super hard teeth and uh, was really smart. She had, even though she couldn't, she didn't have vocal cords yet. Yeah, even though she was baby babbling, it was an understandable language to the Baudelaire's and people they yeah. could trust. So I don't think it's and entirely like outside of of the visual aesthetic to to do that. It's just kind of jarring. <laughs> it, it's jarring visually because CG is not there. It's kind of like it's kind of like they took a baby doll and like shook it violently whenever they like making her chew stuff. That's what it looks like to me. Yeah, because she, she's like a razor. She's like a blender. Yeah, 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 like a blender. <laughs> she just goes all over that stuff. But but it's all of the like, little moments that uh, help or go along with like the ride with Sunny. Like when uh, Montgomery Montgomery hands her a carrot and she holds it so gingerly and she seems like she's... she really is glad to have it. Honestly, the best moments for Sunny... Um... I don't know that we actually said any of like who the characters are. So the main three Baudelaire oh, children, I assume if you're listening to this, you know anything about, you probably know more about it than I do, but. Yeah, but it's been a while. <laughs> so there actually might be way less people who know about this book series than we think. Right. There, there are the three Baudelaire children who at the very beginning of the story, their, their whole house and their parents die in a fire um, and they lose or everything. Well, yeah, in the book that they died in a fire in this they're still alive because you see them frequently doing secret society stuff. Um, And the children, the oldest Violet, um, the middle child Klaus and the baby Sunny. Um, And they have to like go live with 
uh, random relatives until they can get their enormous fortune and live comfortably. Yes, but all the while, Count Olaf is trying to they're, find a way to some evil plot. Count, Count Olaf, their fourth cousin, thrice removed, or their third cousin, fourth removed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> some very distant relative, or who maybe not is a relative at all, I don't know, uh, who is conspiring to get their fortune and then tear them limb from limb. Mm-hmm. Um, but he has to get the fortune first, so it's very clear that he's like, well, specifically Violet, I guess. He's not going to hurt until he gets their money, but I don't think it's any of them. I think he's like, I have to get your money before I kill you. Yes, thankfully Violet is a genius inventor and Klaus is a, uh unstoppable bookworm. Uh, and and Sonny has good. four incredibly sharp teeth uh, and an absurdly nimble and intelligent baby body. Oh, but yeah, so Sunny, the best moments with Sunny is because every time she talks, she also has like a dry sense of humor. And mm. whenever she does something, she's smart about it. But the best moments to me are like, because you know those facts about her, whenever she just like acts like a baby because she is a baby actor, <laughs> it's very good. Like when someone hands her something, she just kind of gently takes it like babies do. My favorite moment is when she does like a uh, a short little one or two syllable burst of baby babble and that gets translated in the subtitles to like a full sentence. She's like, that's bah, like bah, and it's like good riddance, good riddance to you, Count Olaf. Yeah. <laughs> or she's like, Mleh, and it's like, your dream of becoming an actress put us in grave danger. <laughs> <laughs> like there's just that disparity. How did you communicate all that in one or two little vocalizations? <laughs> And well, and I, I like that they added that um, the man with hooks for hands can understand her. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I I think that was a really really interesting because first of all they get the fun um, poker scene. Actually, that mm -hmm. was probably in the book if if I were to remember it correctly, but I can't. I do not believe it was no. Well, not, maybe not the poker poker scene, but the fact that he can understand her. Mm -hmm. um, but like, it's only. The kids, oh, man with hooks for hands, and Dr. Montgomery can understand her, or can he? I, uh, he... He starts I believe... to, I think he's learning throughout the episode. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's no evidence that he doesn't, necessarily. Well, because uh, I, I, can... I think when they first meet, um, she, like, doesn't get a chance to talk when... when Violet is like, oh, she doesn't want something soft, she wants something hard, or whatever. But then later... Violet goes to translate for Sunny and he's like, oh, I know what she said. So I think mm -hmm. it's I think it's more like it's trying to show that he's a really good guardian. Yeah, yeah. Uh, definitely with Mont uh, Montgomery Montgomery, it is a real mixed bad of very good and very bad traits of fatal flaws, <laughs> you might say. Yeah, um, I don't think there is a single other than the um, Baudelaire children. Everyone has like. They're one or five big fatal flaws. Or five. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think, like, most of the characters aren't showed to be, like, particularly smart or, or you know, selfless or anything. They're, they've all got their own personalities and quirks mm. and stuff. The children are just, like, hella smart. <laughs> yeah, but with, um... 
with in regards to like the levels of intelligence and with sort of everybody's motivations uh everybody's vocabulary uh and everybody's intelligence level uh is all still sort of like organized in such a way that it is uh understandable uh communicated clearly in the plot to uh younger readers oh yeah and that that was a thing that you know like i said it I think at the time it wasn't, at least when the time the books came out in the late 90s, it wasn't common for kids' books to, like you said, have a lot of dry humor and show a lot of death. Um, but it it's a super good kids' book because it the narrator 100% just kind of explains everything that's going on and it like helps you get a grasp of different literary themes and also like every time a big word is said... Um, an adult or lemony snicket will explain what it means, even if the kids have to say, oh, we know what that means. They never interrupt the adult when they're explaining it so that you do get the full explanation. But the explanation, it's all it's always a decent explanation. And it's also like a funny joke at the same time. Yeah. The way the, the metaphors that they choose to explain it with. Uh, I think it's a very good book at not making the audience feel stupid while also being a good uh like a learner's book right because a lot of stuff i i have me specifically i have this problem where um if someone is trying to explain to me something that i know i i get defensive because it's like okay i know (laughs) (laughs) but like this it it'll be like um you know remarkable and remarkable means and they'll then they'll say like some weird joke i can't think of a specific example but it's like you don't (laughs) you don't feel condescended to because even though they are explaining to you something that you might already know it's also like yeah funny and it's also like standoff it it, yes standoffish which can explain you know can describe somebody at a party who doesn't want to talk to other people and Uh uh-huh in in Count Olaf's using of it is uh, not a good word to use because it does not describe someone who only gives three people one bed to sleep in, uh, gives them a list of terribly uh, exhausting and dull chores, and strikes them across the face. Yeah, so it's it's just I think it's really well done because I think when you want to teach kids stuff like big words. You don't want mm-hmm. to condescend to them because you don't want to make a f- kid feel dumb for learning something. They're kids. Like, you want them to yeah. be into learning. So, like, I think that's a really good way to do it. Yeah. Beyond uh, vocab, I feel like this book series is really good because it teaches it, it teaches literary structure. Uh, it uh, explores morals. And it because it... Um, it I, although this is true for like a lot of books uh children's books it's it, it it's a good way all of them are generally good ways of um uh a- encouraging oh, oh god what's the word uh i have no idea uh, what you're the one where it's like you have control over your life uh agency yeah it's a good way of encouraging agency in children i think these these heroic books these these you could say power fantasies for children yeah uh, in well, these narratives I, I don't mean power fantasy in a bad way i just mean it in a literal way oh no i am all 100 percent for power fantasies are a good thing in my mind mm-hmm. uh, in almost all cases 
Um, I think it's a very good way of exploring uh, how to use your power and agency. But yeah, uh, the show takes those really good um, moments, like learning moments, where he describes what dramatic irony means. And um, I I think it translates super well with the narrator. Yeah, applies it in a way that is simultaneously not talking down to the audience, uh, while also still being explanatory. So I think I, I this show matches the books as far as I'm concerned, even though like some of the plot points and some of the minor points might be different. That like in all the ways that matter, the show is pretty much exactly the books. <laughs> <laughs> it's true in spirit to the books all right so uh is there anything you want to say before we wrap up uh no i think i said everything i wanted to all right do you have a rating for this show um hmm. see i want to give it i want to give it savory even though there there uh is a, 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 an adult trying to marry a, a minor so that'll definitely it'll the the first two episodes will definitely like very seriously uh squick out any people who have serious uh issues with that it's definitely not portrayed as a good thing uh, but it is something that you have to get through to get to the rest of the series Mm -hmm. um well and i don't think the moment is played very much like you feel like it would be played It, it is played for horror and discomfort and darkness in the story yeah it's Um, it never like goes for that you know what i mean it never goes for like actually being horrible like a lot of shows would it's just uh creepy by uh implication yeah it just feels bad (laughs) Mm -hmm. feels bad man so i don't think like it's meant to be you know, it's called the series of unfortunate events. It's not meant to be a happy show, so I don't think that's really a detractor. Yeah, I I can just see how it might be uh, a sticking point. Like, I enjoyed this whole thing thoroughly, except of course, you know, watching that like made me uncomfortable. Like, regardless, so I imagine there are some other people who for whom it will be uh, even more of a sticking point, and I feel like I should mention it for them. Yeah, fair enough. Um... Yeah, I want to give it a savory just because I, there isn't anything that stands out to me as bad. Like, all the acting is good. All the humor is good. Um, All the visuals are good. The visuals are really good. Like you said, some of the story parts can be creepy, but they're not done terribly. Yeah. The narrative is very clever. Yeah, so um, I think it's fun. And I can't imagine giving it less than a savory. Okay, then will it be agreed then? <laughs> All right, so I've been saving what we're going to watch next week for a while. Ooh. So I think you're going to be excited. I know I'm excited. Um, uh-huh. I'm pretty sure neither of us have seen any unless you've been doing some watching behind my back. I wouldn't know until you <laughs> told me. We're going to watch Shiron, the Princesses of Power. Oh, yeah. No, I'm excited to watch that. <laughs> yeah, Hell yeah. It's been out for like six months now, and neither of us have watched it, even though, as far as I know, it's kind of a short season. I don't know, but I know that it's a show that we should be watching and we're not. Yeah. So absolutely, it needs to be on this. Exactly. I've heard some 
mixed reviews, but none of them... It's more like, oh, this is very good except for one thing, is like the mixed reviews that I've seen. So, um... I'm really excited about Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah, me too. Um, You can catch us on... You can still catch our episodes on tvdpodcast.tumblr.com. I still post those every week. Um, Well... What? I didn't know. Oh, yeah. I do so much behind the scenes. Anyway, (laughs) we have our Twitter um, at tvdpodcast. We have our Facebook um, at tvdpodcast. And um, we have our website, that's tv-dinner.pinecast.co. So if you would rather subscribe to our RSC's feed there, or there are links to every place you can find our podcast to describe at, subscribe at, um, that might be the best option for you if you've been actually listening on Tumblr this whole time. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I don't want to imagine. Because sometimes I forget to put up the Tumblr episode until a few days later. <laughs> it's certainly not our venue of preference no i'm only ever on tumblr to post these episodes Mm -hmm. um anyway uh today's quote is from james beard i don't know who that is but (laughs) (laughs) um food is our common ground a universal experience that's true (laughs) Bye. bye